This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the wonderful world of REMNANT Radio today. Uh, we're talking about those charismatics who like to go under the radar, disguise themselves, if you will, as non-charismatic on a Sunday morning. It's going to be an exciting program in our Open But Kasha series. You guys stay tuned. You are watching The Remnant Radio, a show where we tackle history, theology, and the gifts of the Spirit. My name is Joshua Lewis. I'm the pastor of King's Fellowship in Ada, Oklahoma, together with my friends Michael Miller at Reclamation Church Denver and Michael Roundtree at Bridgeway Church OKC. We set aside time every week to discuss the gifts of the Spirit. Things like, how should we pray for the sick? And how do we interpret tongues? And should we believe all the prophetic words for the new year? If you're looking for a charismatic podcast with practitioners who are actually doing the stuff, this is the show for you. You might not, you might notice uh, this Wednesday, we don't have Michael Miller with us because he's a practitioner. He's actually doing the stuff and he's uh, out of town doing ministry stuff today. So not able to jump on the live stream with us, but uh, excited to have him back next week. But uh, for all of those of you who are watching Remnant Radio, you've never watched the program before. We are entirely crowdfunded. So if this episode has blessed you or maybe other episodes you've watched has blessed you, you can go uh, give in the link of the description if you so I choose to. Uh, the top link is going to be for PayPal and the link right underneath it's for Patreon. If you give on PayPal, you can give whatever you want. But if you give on Patreon, as low as five bucks a month, you'll get access to extra content. Uh, anyway, today we are not making fun of Benny Hen. Someone already said like, hey, why are you making fun of Benny Hen? We don't want to mock. We're not trying to scoff. It was clearly a kid's disguise put on Benny Hen. Uh, Michael asked a really good question uh, to the person who was like, hey, uh, why are you making Benny Hen cool. making fun of Benny Hen? What, what did you say to me, Michael? And for those and for those who are listening to the audio podcast, he's talking about the little thumbnail that he puts on our video podcast. He puts them out on social media, and it's uh, and so Josh, can you actually show that? Right. Well, of course, if they're listening, it doesn't really even matter. Uh, the question that I asked was, "How do you even know it's Benny Hen?" Last I checked, <laughs> Benny Hen doesn't have a mustache and glasses and big furry eyebrows. Uh, obviously but, uh, superman syndrome. yeah so on the graphic it's benny hinn hiding behind this sort of little mask and so uh <laughs> yeah so we're, what we're it's, talking about oh yeah go ahead no i just want to say it's not we're not making fun of the guy he is clearly a recognizable iconic charismatic and we're putting him in disguise because we're talking about charismatics in theology but, who but try Josh, to hide the fact you, that they're charismatics it fits really well but Josh, you know how this goes. The fact that you're claiming to not make fun of Benny Hinn means that you 100% agree with his doctrine and practice. That's what the critics say. Uh, because it, it, unless you virulent, virulently criticize somebody, that means you are infatuated with them, pretty much. <laughs> infatuated, that's So what strong. does it mean about our relationship since I criticize you all the time? <laughs> like, what does that actually mean? <laughs> Touche, touche. <laughs> well, today, so we're actually not talking about Benny Hinn today. We are talking about, like Josh said, undercover charismatics, and uh, and this this show idea. I we were talking about it is that it's especially common in charismatic churches that are really really big churches that. Uh, it's like I know people who they go to these churches, they've never heard anything about a spiritual gift, and they become like really involved in these churches. And it's not until they're like two and three years in, they even realize like, oh, you're technically charismatic. And so they believe the stuff, but it's just, it's definitely not on display on Sunday morning. It's really not talked about. Now, and of course, there's always a spectrum. Some of them will talk about it and just 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 not do anything on Sunday morning. And so, but but at the end of the day, it's, the, it's churches that, they're they're cool with the charismatic as long as you hide it in a closet somewhere. So that's what we're addressing. Is that biblical? Is that okay? Is that something that you can do? So, uh, Josh, what do you think? Why why is hiding the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I mean, is it a bad thing? And if so, why? 
Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what we're going to aim for in our local community, and I think in your local community, is that we want to see the mature expression of the gifts taking place on Sunday morning. Uh, one of the reasons that we do that, like teaching, we want a mature expression of teaching uh, happening on Sunday morning, because when people go home and read their Bibles Monday through Friday, we want to give them a good operating software on how to read and exegete the text of Scripture and to understand what it means. Uh, we don't want them to have like a personal um, you know, this is what the Bible means to me sort of approach, but what does the Bible actually mean? What has it always meant? What's it meant for the past 2,000 years? Uh, what, do the, what does the Bible say? And how can I understand what it says? Uh, and teach people how to grapple with the text of Scripture, with the historical grammatical hermeneutic, so they understand that text. I think the same can be true of the gift of prophecy or praying for the sick, those kinds of things. We want to display a mature expression of that gift in such a way that empowers and emboldens people to practice that Monday through Friday in a way that's both decently and in order. So in the same way that uh, we gather around the word, we gather around the sacraments, we, gra- we gather in, in uh, healthy ways around good leadership, good teaching, uh, good exhortation, good worship, uh, the hope is that those things are modeled in such a way that continue to uh, habituate a practice within your life day to day. So the reason we would say that this is not good is because if you don't display this for them, uh, who will? And there are tons and tons and tons of people online who will display what deliverance looks like to your church members. So if you're not doing it, they're going to be looking for it somewhere. And uh, in our experience, the vast majority of people that are doing it online are just not that helpful, not that good, sound, theological um, uh, individuals. So if you're going to say, hey, uh, deliverance ministry, healing, prophecy, it's real easy to get sucked into the Trump prophets. It's really easy to get sucked into some wacky, you know, strategic spiritual warfare, you know, courts of heaven level wackiness. Uh, it's really easy to say, hey, I'm going to go after the gifts of the spirit. And I'm going to find myself in a hyper charismatic, gnarly kind of space. And, and we just want to say, hey, church, if you're going to be charismatic, if you're going to believe in these things, teach your church um, the right way to do it and display it in a way uh, that can that can inspire, lead, guide them in their day-to-day practice. Yeah, that's, did I, that's did good. I, yeah, yeah, no, you did good. So, you know, with the question of why is hiding the gifts on a Sunday morning a bad thing? Um, and I, you, I, I'm trying to imagine a pushback here, Josh, that it's like, okay, well, um, you, you, Josh, address the problem of why it's bad if we don't train or exercise these gifts at all. But like, what if, what if this, this church that's undercover charismatic, what if they're cool with the gifts happening in other spaces, such as like, hey, we have a, uh, a special prophetic meeting three times a year, and we train for it, and we have a special deliverance training three times a year. And so have things, they offer opportunities to grow and learn in the stuff, uh, but it's just not a Sunday morning thing. And they say, hey, we're just Sunday morning, we're pre-year, we're doing worship, and that's just what we have time for. So like, if I'm offering that kind of pushback, and I'm, I say I, uh, on behalf of those who th- who believe this way, well, how would you respond to uh, to that pushback? Well, I mean, I would say that we'd want the norm of Scripture to try to be the aim of our norm as well. So, like in First Corinthians 14, he illustrates what a service kind of looks like in the Church of Corinth. He's talking about what the gathered assembly is supposed to do. That someone's going to come with a teaching, someone with a, a, a psalm, a tongue, an interpretation, a prophecy. And those take place in a corporate setting. He tells the person that speaks in tongues, you know, if there's not someone to interpret, sit down and and be silent. He tells the person who does prophecy, someone gets up and starts prophesying, you need to hold on to your gift because the subject, the gift is subject to the prophet. Um, You know, uh, everything's to be done decently and in order. So the instruction of 1 Corinthians 14 seems pretty norming in that uh, this should be done in a public assembly. Uh, The unbeliever who's in your midst, if you're prophesying, the contents and intentions of their heart are exposed and they fall on their face and they say, surely God is among them. Now, the concern, it seems to be for me, when I'm looking at the undercover charismatics, is they're, they're afraid of spooking the naturalist atheist. They're, they're afraid of spooking someone who's not uh, comfortable with charismatic gifts, where the Bible seems to illustrate that if they're done in a decent and orderly manner, the contents of the unbeliever's heart is that of worship. They, 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 their heart is exposed and they go, wow, man, look how glorious and mighty that God is. So I feel like you're taking the punch away from uh, the a lot of power in your services. I mean, Acts uh, 1, we get Pentecost Sunday. I'm, I'm prepping for, I don't know if you've, you, you've, you've spoken in tongues enough this week, Michael, but uh, I'm certainly trying to get my hours Fair up. Um, but uh, Acts 1, you know, tells us that you'll receive power from on high to be my witnesses. 
So like the power of the spirit that's given on Pentecost to the church, the democratization of the spirit, you know, part of the reason that this is given is to empower believers to win the lost. So uh-huh. your Sunday morning service that's open to the public like that, there's power present to win souls. I, I would say, why not use that power? Um, I mean, that's how that's yeah. how I advise. Yeah, well, and I think the verse that you quoted, I think, is really important because, I mean, 1 Corinthians 14, 26, uh, whenever you come together, each of you brings a gift. One of you brings a teaching, one a, a, a tongue, a, a interpretation, a revelation, a hymn. I'm not getting these in the right order. And let each thing be done for the edification. And so when, when Paul is commanding, uh, first of all, Paul is commanding us to practice the gifts of the Holy Spirit when we come together in the Lord's Day gathering. That's the whole context of 1 Corinthians 14. So why would it be bad to hide the gifts on a Sunday morning? Because the Bible says practice the gifts publicly on a Sunday morning. And then, and so there's a there's a biblical reason, but then additionally, there's the practical reasons. There are the practical reasons that Josh put out there, such as how else are they going to learn how to do it? And I've just found, and I say this sometimes, but preaching is the the tip of the spear. It is it it's yet it edifies and strengthens the church. It definitely does that. It also it it creates a picture of the kind of church that that you are that God is building in that place. So. If, uh, if for instance, the preacher's preaching against tongues, well, guess what's never going to happen on a Sunday morning? Tongues. Uh, or even if he's just silent on the issue, like he preaches 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, well, actually not even 11, uh, then skips 11, 12, 13, 14, because they mention gifts, and then picks it back up again at 15. And I've like literally heard of preachers doing this. Well, he's creating a certain kind of church. And, and so... The kind of church we want to create is the kind of pictures for us, the, the kind that it describes. And it describes using all the gifts on Sunday morning. And Josh, I, I loved the feedback that you gave about like, well, but what about the the naturalistic unbeliever who thinks you're crazy because you're prophesying and like, oh, you know, this is all crazy. Uh, the example in scripture is of in 1 Corinthians 14 is, is of the unsaved person getting saved as a result of the gifts flourishing. And that's what he describes as the purpose of, uh, of prophecy. It's interesting. He says prophecy is for believers. And then he proceeds to give an example of an unbeliever getting saved. <laughs> but the key is what the unbeliever says. He says, God is certainly among you. So when he says that, he's talking about all the believers are prophesying. And the evidence that prophecy is for believers is, is that uh, is that God is in their midst, like the blessing of the Holy Spirit is upon them, and he's causing this gift to flourish uh, in their midst. And so uh, and so, prophecy is something that we're commanded to practice in the New Testament church whenever we gather. Uh, Josh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put one out there. Like um, Somebody might say, well, Michael, or I'm going to put it for you, Josh. Josh, uh, Corinth would have been a house church setting. That's a little different. You know, it's easier to do tongues and interpretation and, and prophecy and those kinds of things in a, in that kind of setting where you're kind of circled up and yeah, there, it would have been more than a circle up kind of church. It might've been, uh, gosh, nobody really knows, but it was, it was probably in like some rich dudes, probably 75 people. Um, I've read those kinds of estimates for the church in Corinth. Uh, but you know, the, the kind of church where it's, uh, it, it's not like there's a stage and a microphone. So Josh, um, given the way most Western churches operate more stage microphone oriented, um, how would you respond to somebody who says like, man, it just doesn't even seem productive to prophesy over individuals in the congregation. It just doesn't even, it seems like maybe something has changed enough in our Western context that, that we need to not practice the gifts on a Sunday. What would you say? Now, I would, uh, I would wonder about the faultiness of the logic. It seems as if the bigger the group, the more opportunity you would have to select from the most skilled prophetic people among you. So if you have a group of people that you've got 10 people in that group and maybe two are gifted prophetically, and I'm just using random numbers, you know, case study here, you have a uh, hundred people, right? Now you have like 20 people that you could pull from. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you have, if you have 200 people, right, you've got 40 people you can pull from. So like the larger the group, 
that you have as your church, potentially the larger group of people that are able to exercise the gift of prophecy. And if you have a larger group of people that's able to exercise the group of prophecy, you can display those who are especially like the 10% of the 10%, right? The, 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 the highest and most accurate, like in the same way with teaching, when you go to a smaller church, at least in theory, it's, you could have a small church that has a fantastic preacher. Um, you know, uh, you know, when Michael was you know, pastoring at Wellsprings, Wellsprings, not a small church by any stretch of the imagination, uh, but it had like 200 people. Michael was a phenomenal preacher and he still is a phenomenal preacher. Um, but, but that, that church, you know, had a small group of people it could pull from. Now that he's at Bridgeway, I bet you there's, you know, 15 or 20 people who can preach really good sermons at Bridgeway just because of the size of that community. I would think, if anything, that the argument that bigger churches have, you know, less opportunity. One, I just feel like you would be able to pick the the most gifted people the larger the pool is, at least, you know, numerically or potentially. Uh, but then next to that, uh, the Bible displays Jesus healing the sick in multitudes. It displays Jesus um, exercising the forgiveness of sins in, in with hundreds, thousands of people around. Uh, the scriptures, you know, display Jesus walking through a crowded street where people are clinging around him and someone reaches out and touches him and uh, they get healed. Um, even in smaller, I, I mean, I just, I, the idea that because there's a large community, less people, you know, uh, are going to be impacted or empowered by supernatural things. I just feel like that's so contrary to what we see in scripture. There's tons of large gatherings that are mentioned over and over uh, in the Old and the New Testament, right? Uh, Day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved because they saw a demonstration of power. Um, you know, at the gate, beautiful, silver and gold I don't have. This one thing I have, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. Right? Was it like 5,000 people got saved that day? I mean, so many people get impacted and empowered when they see a, a demonstrable manifestation of power. Uh, and I would just encourage the church to pursue that, no matter what size church they're in, because the the Bible says that these things edify the church, it glorifies God, it causes the lost to come to salvation. Uh, and I would think that the larger the church, you would want more and more of that. So uh, anyway, those are those are my kind of preliminary thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know, a few things. So you, you talked about like, hey, the bigger your church, the more gifted people that you're going to have to choose from. Uh, I, I really like that point, and it kind of ties back to something you said earlier, where Sunday morning is for the mature expression, the uh, mature expression of the gifts. Jack Deere used to tell the story about John Wimber at his church, as they were just like figuring out prophecy and how, how do you do this in a public gathering, and they used to do like a five minute programmed pause where they just open mic to anyone to come up and prophesy. And Jack told the story about you know this guy would come up and he would say. Thus says the Lord, the gospel is a fairy tale. And then John Wimber would have to come out and say, the gospel is not a fairy tale. And everybody would clap. And, and, and J Jack just said, this was just a very unproductive way of doing it. And, uh, and so when Jack started uh, Wellspring, he, uh, the way he did it was he, he filtered through, figured out who are the gifted pro uh, prophetic people and had them share on Sunday morning. Uh, because, it, you know, just like you wouldn't put an ungifted teacher into the pulpit, and you wouldn't put an ungifted worship leader with a guitar and a microphone, uh, you, you would maybe start them out in, in smaller settings. In the same way, the, the Sunday morning where the whole church is gathered, I mean, assuming it's like bigger than a, a home group, um, that it's Sunday morning is for the mature expression of the gifts. I think that is, that is uh, an important point. I think another thing that I would say on this is, that it, if you're embarrassed of it and you have to put it in, uh, in the background, it, it communicates that it's not that important to you. The things that you put in the foreground are the things that are really important to you. And so, for instance, um, you preach, you have a lot of preaching, probably because preaching the word of God is really important to you. Uh, there was a point, and I started, this happened for me in my uh, Wellspring days, and we at one point we're doing communion like once every <laughs> once every six weeks or four weeks or eight weeks just kind of wherever it landed and then, the uh, and then you. yeah well the lord started to convict me about the importance of communion from the scriptures and i just saw the their pattern uh in the scriptures and their rhythms it's like geez so we got to do it more and so i start we we started we just kind of had it at the back sort of available so anyone could take it and uh but then the lord just started to to really convict me more and my elders more and just felt like 
you know what, if it's really important, it should be at the foreground, not the background. It shouldn't be just something that like some in the worship are participating in and nobody else even knows about. And so uh, it's the same principle with the gifts. I mean, we consider worship really important. We consider the word really important. I think communion is really important. Uh, and the, the things, and I think this gifts of the Holy Spirit are really important. And so uh, if it's really important, like it, like just ask yourself the question, First Corinthians 14, 1, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Uh, it would someone look at someone should be able to look at our church service and say, this church really values prophecy. I think that's really important. And, and so that's, that's why we do prophetic from the stage. And, um, and I think the other one last thing on this, I'll say, and I'll kind of put it back over to you, Josh is, uh, that this does also depend on kind of where you're at in the spectrum. Cause there'll be some people who, uh, you know, maybe you're hearing me talk and maybe you're a pastor and you're like, okay, well, I guess I need to, you know, have prophetic people from the stage. And, if I want to show that this is really important, but then you don't know any prophetic people in your church or the people you know are a very occasionally prophetic. Well, that comes back to Sunday mornings for the mature expression of the gifts. Uh, I'm simply saying, I think churches need to build toward this. I think churches need to build toward a public expression of, uh, of the gifts of the spirit, including prophecy, including tongues, including interpretation. You know, in my church, I'll be honest, we don't really do tongues and interpretation from the stage, but I would if I, felt really confident that somebody was uh, was gifted in interpretation. And I'm betting that there are. I'm just kind of like, you know, one thing at a time here. But um, I, 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 I would build toward that because the scripture says it. And if, if the scripture says it, I want to do it. And the scripture says, when you gather on Sunday, let there be a tongue, let there be an interpretation, let there be prophecy. So, um, but, but I guess the whole reason I shared that is because it's something that I'm wanting to build toward. I want to find more people who are gifted uh, in that area. And I would hope that if you're listening to this and if you have any sort of leadership role in church, I know that's probably not most of you, but but that if you are and you have some kind of leadership role in your church, that you consider it something that you could work toward. Yeah, Josh. that's good. Michael, what about what about the the open but cautious person who's like, hey, man, uh, we went through the, this Protestant Reformation, um, the Sunday morning gathering. Uh, we're going to center that around the word of God, the, the preaching and teaching of God's word. If we begin to exercise other things in our liturgy, like the gift of prophecy, it's going to put the Bible in contempt. It's going to it's going to devalue the ordinary means of grace and overinflate these extraordinary means uh, through prophecy uh, and and tongues and interpretation and these things. It, it'll be a circus. It'll be a show, and preaching won't take the center stage. Uh, in our community, and we want to defend that. How would you How would you respond to the person who that's their defense for hiding the gifts in a you know in a corner somewhere right. uh, during the week? Yeah, I, I would say uh, Ecuador it doesn't follow. Uh, the The best way to honor uh, the scripture is to do it, not just spend a lot of time talking about it. So uh, one way we do it is we we do First Corinthians fourteen twenty six. It says bring all the gifts together. So. This is actually us honoring the scripture. Now, the another way we we honor the scripture and do the scripture is not just by doing it, but by doing it the way the scripture says. So the, the scripture doesn't just say do prophecy. It actually gives us a way to do it. And so, uh, for instance, uh, prophecy has a higher priority than tongues and less tongues is interpreted uh, than they would be on equal playing field. But generally speaking, prophecy is to be uh, more important than tongues. Why? Because prophecy can edify the whole church. And uh, he says two or three of you are to speak in turn. And, and so he, he starts to give a little bit of direction. So I would consider these guardrails for how, for how it's to, to be practiced. But they're not parachutes. They're not trying to get us to like, hey, slow down with those gifts of the Holy Spirit. No, let's go far and fast, but let us do it with guardrails, keeping us from veering off the road. But, but let's vigorously and passionately uh, go for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So, so I would say, like, rather than like, hey, in order to honor the word of God, I got to turn scripture to a 10 and gifts to, a, to maybe a five. Uh, or even, let, let's just balance them out at five and five. I'm saying word and spirit, they're both to a 10. Just turn them both to 10. And so, uh, and so that's what I would say, Josh. Let's just, let's just go for all of it and let's do it at, Let's do it because the scripture says, and let's do it in the way that the scripture says. And, and Matt, my church, my church loves the word of God. I mean, they're passionate for the word of God. And uh, we, we stand up for the reading of the word of God in reverence of the scripture. And uh, yeah, I got a, 
pastors and elders theology study that uh, I spent a little time this afternoon preparing for, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit and breaking down uh, systematic theology into all these different categories and all these different verses that go with it. And the pastors and elders are just eating it up because our church loves the Word of God, but we love the Word, the Spirit too. It's a false dichotomy, Josh. So I, I would say, man, let, let's keep preaching, preaching our heart out, preaching expositionally, and then doing what the Bible says. That's what I would say. Yeah, I'd, I'd uh, take it back to what you were saying about communion. You know, uh, when we, we viewed communion as uh, that Zwinglian model, let's get it off of the center part of the stage. Let's move it away. Let's get the pulpit here in the center. We'll kind of, we'll kind of tuck the elements away. Um, you know, it. We believe it's it's actually because of the word that the that the sacraments have e- efficacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word gives the spirit, or the word gives the sacrament um, that kind of spiritual efficacy. It's it it finds its its source in the word. And, and I think mm-hmm. that we can, in the same sense, say that the gifts find their source in the word. And, and the believer uh, has confidence, right? Galatians 3, 5, that mighty miracles are done you know, through them, not, not because it works the law, but hearing in faith. In fact, it displays that the word of God is true. Um, it displays um, that the word of God, if, if, we trust, if we trust in Jesus, he can use us too. Right, like it, 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 it emphasizes those promises. It applies those promises in a real, tangible, and active way. You know, one of the the books that I've been kind of prepping through is *Strangers to Fire*. I have it right here on the floor. I'm gonna pick it up. Did you love that book? I do love this book. And the thing is, is people don't know this thing exists. There's a ton of articles in here, um, but one of the articles I come back to a lot is this Anglican guy, uh, John MacArthur, made a statement in uh, *Strange Fire* that you know the charismatic renewal didn't do a single thing. Uh, for the uh, confidence in the in biblical authority, and this Anglican guy who was going through like the Episcopal Church uh, before there was that big split, he goes, "Man, I totally disagree. We were all going the way of liberal scholarship, saying that there was no uh, supernatural miracles. Therefore, uh, there must be you know natural explanations. What was happening with Jesus? We know that he wasn't really born of a virgin because that's not physically possible." Uh, Jesus walked on, you know, the sea. Maybe the, the the river froze when he when he walks on the Sea of Galilee or whatever. It, river froze. The sea froze. You know, maybe that's how he's walking on the sea. They're trying to come to natural conclusions because they just don't believe the supernatural like, worldview of Scripture can be true. But but then they saw healings. Then they saw prophecy, and they went, "Whoa! If this supernatural reality is real, that must mean the claims of the Bible can be real too." And, and, I, and I think this is really interesting for believers in our day. Like, we're telling stories about Jesus raising people from the dead. We're telling stories about Jesus walking into a temple and unclean spirits crying out in fear. You know, what are you going to do with us? Why have you come before our time? And if you come with the word of God, teaching that Jesus came to set at liberty the captive, and they see a deliverance take place on Sunday, and the, 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 the captive being liberated. It, they, they come and they see the blind eyes actually be opened. It it actually puts more faith and confidence into the word because you're actually seeing what the word said it would do. Um, anyway, so go pick up that book. Um, and I would just say that those, the word and spirit are tied together. They're not contrary, you know, in the same way that when someone gives their life to Jesus and you begin to see the addictions and, and, and the bondages fall off of them, you go, wow, look at God. Look, he, he really did this. The same can be said of the supernatural you, you can you can be built up in faith and encouraged because you're seeing the, the same kinds of things that they were seeing in scripture. Um, anyway, and, um, I Josh, do you, do you agree with this? Because this is completely anecdotal, but I, I feel like this is true. I feel like that since COVID, there has been this craving for substance in people's lives because there's just so much, his, there was craziness, there was hysteria, there were there were lies that's been proven now. I mean, there, there was, there was so much crazy that people were just like, I don't, I need ground to stand on, you know? And, and what I have found is I, I have found that like the, the, the more boldly I preach the word of God and the more boldly I slash my church, the more we go after the gifts of the Holy spirit, like it's like people are like, ah, substance. And, uh, and I, I feel as though this whole, because what we're really talking about, Josh, is it's a, it's a blend of the seeker sensitive movement and charismatic movement coming together. And what I, what I think is happening is this, there's like this new, this craving for substance where people are, they're tired of McChurch. They're tired of franchise church where you get your, your nice little package of your, uh, your, 
sermon that's that's relevant doesn't really unpack the bible very much but it's super relevant um that they're tired of the ted talk sermon they're tired of like the the fancy worship that yeah i mean it's really musically well done and all of, but but they're just they're tired of that it's just like give me the real thing and man we have so many people coming to our church and joining our church because they're like, there's substance. There's, gosh, I sound like I'm bragging. I guess I, I guess maybe I am. Lord, I don't know. But I, I'm, I'm simply saying, I'll, I'll just say it this way: when people are coming to our church and they're staying, what they're telling us is, is that they love this. They, they love that there's substance. That, that it's the real thing. And I, and so that's where I, I think like, instead of thinking, you know, what will the atheist naturalistic person think if they come to my service? Like, let's let the first question be, because this is where I let the first question be, what will God think? And then we have what he thinks in his word. And so let's just do that. And I just, I think more and more, it's just going to get more hysterical and it's going to get more crazy. Let's just give people the substance. Let's just preach the unadulterated word of God and actually do it like the Bible says. And, uh, and let's just cut Seeker sensitive is a bad deal. In my opinion, it's just a bad yeah. deal. They're my brothers and sisters. I think they have a heart for the lost and I respect them for that. Um, but, but I don't, I don't want us to start a church like our thinking through how to do church and how to practice church based on what will an unbeliever think about this. I want to start with what does God think and go to his word. And there's no record in his word of anything like seeker sensitive. I've read Rick Warren's uh, seekers, uh, the, no, he calls it the purpose driven church. I've read the whole thing cover to cover and underlined and all the things I, and I, I don't buy it. I just, I think it's a bad deal. And I think it's why we're in this place where we have to debate whether or not to do what the Bible says. Josh, am I, am I being too strong? <laughs> No, you're not being too strong. And uh, another, I'm just going to keep plugging books today. These are all old dead guys, so I'm not getting any sponsorship from this. But uh, Samuel Chadwick, uh, he was he ran a uh, seminary, uh, Wesleyan school in 1930. Um, that's when this book was published. Uh, and he, I think he sat on it for 30 years too. So uh, this book, every other paragraph, it will just punch you in the gut. And it's got some second blessing stuff in it that I'm not like, I don't know. But but. This, this book is so punchy because one of the things it pushes for all the time is we have conferences trying to fix, you know, butts in the seats. We have uh, a lot of talks about the problems that are wrong with the church, but we don't have power. And, you know, mm-hmm. we, we want to solve all of the, the loss coming in, but that wasn't a problem when we had power. We want to we solve the youth epidemic of kids going off to secular university, not coming back, but but we don't have power. Um, and, and I think that a lot of this, and, and this is, I don't, I, I, I walk this line of like being fearful of making people think that there's like some kind of workspace salvation. Um, but I think the reality is living in actual dependency of the power of God and putting ourselves into those situations creates, um, creates room for us to look bad. And I think Uh people, we have an image based culture and we're afraid of putting ourselves on the line. We're afraid of what what might not happen if we if we put ourselves into a precarious situation um, where we're praying for sick people, we're giving prophetic words, and we're afraid of that. So what we do is we hide away, and we have we have no power. There's not a light or a heat in our words, and and I I just I think that people are hungry to see the power of God manifest next to the word of God. Because man, if, if you if you are really preaching the word of God, there's power present. There just is. And I think people, it's like a sneeze. You're preaching God's word. You're preaching faithful. You're preaching hard. And it's like, you just can't sneeze. Um, but it's like when that manifestation of power comes with it, it's like the whole package. You know, it's like when Jesus went around preaching the kingdom and displaying mighty works, like those things yeah. are married together. It's part of the kingdom. And I would just encourage yeah. the seeker sensitive movement, stop making decisions on how you're going to do gifts be- because of your reason or your, your pragmatism or like, oh, this will work forget that it will work. We're not in a situation anymore where it will work is going to work. We need to get into a situation where it's like, this is how they did it in the Bible. Let's try to do that. Um, anyway, I'm, I'm getting preachy too. Oh dude, <laughs> no, I I'm totally with you. I mean, like, I just want us to like, we have to like wrestle with this and think through like, where have we come to where the, like Acts 1, 8, this central verse, you will receive power when the Holy spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. 
And then we have the whole rest of the book of Acts that shows us what this power looks like. It looks like Acts chapter 2, the Spirit falling and people speaking in tongues. And it looks like uh, later in Acts 2, 3,000 people getting saved in a single day. And then it looks like Acts chapter 3, where a lame beggar gets healed and more people get saved as Peter preaches and explains the miracle, power for witnesses. And then more in Acts chapter 4 is uh, they're all filled with the Holy Spirit and preach the word of God boldly. And then more in Acts chapter 5 when Ananias and Sapphira are judged because they lie to the Holy Spirit and great fear falls upon them and revival breaks out and they're bringing people out on mats. Uh, I mean, I can just go chapter by chapter and it's power for witness every time. And, and we, as Western evangelicals who lack power, we say, ah, but I, I have a better way. Um, more like I'll be, you know, I'll be his witness by having no power and eliminating power from my church services or maybe explaining it away. Well, there's power in my preaching. That's not what power means in Book of Acts. I mean, it, it, it includes that, but it includes much more than that. And, and by the way, someone put here in the chat, like, hey, you're, you're saying like maybe cessationist churches are all secret systems. No, we never said that. No. We're talking about charismatic churches that believe in all the stuff but are hiding it because they don't want people to be driven away by the practice of prophecy. They don't want people to be driven away by the practice of tongues and of healing ministry and of all of these things. And I just want to say, like, what does the scripture say? Power for witness. He doesn't say you will receive the Holy Spirit and I'll give you good strategies to be my witnesses or I'll give you new tactics to be my witnesses. Or He doesn't say those things. And I'm all for strategy. I'm all for tactic. And the Holy Spirit can give those too. But the emphasis is on power. And when we look at missions around the world where it's really flourishing, there's power. And uh, I was just actually talking to uh a missionary that I've mentored for many years in the in the third world, and he was telling me, "Milagros, milagros, milagros, miracles, 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 and healings, and uh, and and all the stuff from the Book of Acts." And and he has seen many thousands of, uh, I will just say, thousands of churches planted, and it's it's powerful witness. And and I think just we in the West have to stop finding substitutes for the Bible. So, well, but but it's a yeah. thing, man. Luke, we can really. We can like create a really well-crafted sermon with a really powerful illustration. We can embody that through like acting and we can like put props on stage to really like further illustrate it. And we can like try to think of how we can get into someone's head and reason with them. And, and there's nothing wrong with that uh, until, until it becomes idolatry, until it's like I'm the one who's going to get that person in the audience from here to here. That's, that's when we've, we've, we've just, we've come out of even seeker sensitive, you know, uh, we stand for nothing kind of evangelicalism to idolatry of like, it's, it's me who gets them from here to here and nowhere is there dependency or power on the spirit to move the human heart. Um, and, and we've got to be extremely intentional, uh, for whatever reason, I'm getting a call cause I didn't put my, my computer on do not disturb. Uh, Michael, I, I digress, uh, and, and the call got me off my, my point there. It's so good. Uh, we can keep, wh- what about we, the, <laughs> go ahead. Go. Okay. Well, um, let, me, let me just kind of ask this question here. Uh, this was just kind of next question in our notes. Can we really be expected to practice all the gifts on Sunday? We don't practice evangelism on Sunday. That ministry usually takes place Monday to Saturday. Why couldn't tongues and prophecy just be done during special services? And um, I, I mean, of all the gifts, evangelism is the one that most often happens outside of the Sunday service. But man, I want evangelism in Sunday services. I'm thinking of uh, a young lady in our church service. She was sitting on the second row and somebody invited her to church and she she came. and, uh, And then at the end of the sermon, I gave an invitation for people to be saved. And the person who was sitting next to her leaned over and asked her if she wanted to give her life to Jesus. And she said, yes. And she was just baptized uh, a couple of weeks ago. And so, uh, man, I want evangelism. That's what Charles Spurgeon uh, talked about. He's like, he said, man, I, I cast a big net, but it's helpful when other, when there are fishermen all throughout the service and uh, exercising their gift because uh, that, and he gives examples like, you know, that 
I think this is his book, The Soul Winner. Uh, it, it just of people leading people to Jesus after the sermon. Man, it's it's primo time. So, man, I want all the gifts, including evangelism on a Sunday, and. I evangelize from the stage every single Sunday. I'm always calling people to repent and turn to Jesus every single Sunday. I think it's a false dichotomy. So uh, I, I would say, yes, let, let's get all the gifts on Sunday. Let's do it. So that's what I would say. Yeah. And Gosh, what about you? And uh, well, I, I, there's a couple of people that have commented on John MacArthur a couple of times in that, you know, are you saying that John isn't being used by God? Guys, we're not, we're not saying that. In fact, I, Never said that. I might postulate, I might postulate that John, even by nature of his reformed theology or his, Calvinistic soteriology, people get upset if I call him reformed, um, is Calvinistic soteriology that he actually depends on the spirit more than the seeker sensitive church that we're talking about. Um, because the seeker sensitive church says, I will use my logic and I will use my reason to move and push this person cerebrally into a position or coerce them into a position of conviction or, you know, feeling badness, like it's not really conviction of the spirit, uh, to a MacArthur who is leaning on the power of the Spirit is praying for the power of the Spirit to convict and change hearts. Um, I just want to broaden that for the charismatic community, the people who already theologically believe in the gifts, um, to to stop giving in to this kind of idolatry that says, I'm going to move you, um, you know, and, and I'm going to have this great experience for you. You know, from the t- second you hit the parking lot to you walk in, you know, you have the door greeters meet you and you drop off your kids. And they, they focus on the experience of service so much that the substance of the service is completely passed over because they want you to experience, you know, a loving community. They want you to experience a, a message that changes your life and impacts you when it's like we're there to experience God. We're there to meet with God. Like stop making it about the parking lot team. Like it's about God. Um, and, and again, I, I'm not the guy who wants to minimize those other things, um, it, but it's when they become a, a substitute or a replacement of what matters. Um, that's what I'm concerned with. And I'm, I'm not targeting cessationist in any way. I'm talking about the continuationist who, again, theologically believes in these things, is choosing not to act on them, and is emphasizing systems over um, power that they know that they have access to. That's a, that's a concerning thing. Anyway, um, yep. yeah, let's, let's move on to some of these. I think you did a, a bang-up job with that one on uh, the gifts of the Spirit being used. Someone in the comments said something like, evangelism is not a gift. I mean, it, according to Ephesians chapter 4, it certainly is. Um, anyway, uh, if we open up the door for prophecy on Sundays... Won't the prophetic team be able to usurp the authority of the pastor? This is a legitimate question uh, when it comes to revelatory-based gifts. Uh, I, I knew back in the classical Pentecostal days, you know, that was a big concern was we're totally cool with tongues, uh, you know, tongues and interpretation. We're all all game for that stuff. But if you start having people do prophecy, you know, people are going to start going to them to hear for God for them. They're not going to be coming to me for counsel. They're going to go to, the, you know, the prophet and, and the prophet might get up and say something on Sunday that undermines my authority. You know, if we open up our you know, Sunday morning experience and we start highlighting these people, won't that cause there to be a division in the leadership? Michael, how would you respond to that? Uh, a few ways. I would say, first of all, that same danger would have existed in the in the New Testament church. If you're going to raise that objection, uh, you should have objected to Paul ever saying that we should prophesy because that can always happen. Anytime there's, uh, I mean, a gift claiming any level of authority as, as uh, prophecy, you know, if you're claiming to speak on behalf of God, there's authority there for sure. Uh, and, and so, but this is what Paul says to it. He, recognizing that's a problem, recognizing that sometimes people will claim to have more authority than they, uh, than they really do, or they'll claim to speak for God when they really don't. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if any of you is a prophet or thinks he is a prophet. So he, he has two categories there. One is like, you might even be a legit prophet, or maybe you just think you are and you're really not. But he says, either category, he says, let them acknowledge that what I say to you is the Lord's command. So Paul is writing scripture. He's writing as an apostle and uh, and the apostolic command, the, the written word of God, the scripture always trumps spontaneous revelation. If you build that into the value system of your church and you continually reinforce that, this is rarely a problem. I've been doing it for almost two decades and we've always had this value in our church. And there have been very occasional situations where someone thinks they're super prophetic and and uses it for harm. And that has happened on occasion. By the way, people abuse the teaching gift too. 
Uh, people abuse the office of elder too. Just because people abuse things doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. Corinth used the gifts in an, uh, in an unhealthy and unholy way. And Paul doesn't say, you know what, just forget about those gifts. He says, no, all the more pursue them. Just do it the right way. And so if you just come with a value system where the written word of God trumps spontaneous uh, revelation, then this really doesn't become uh, it doesn't become a problem. Uh, so I think that's Josh how I would say. And then I guess maybe the other thing, just on a sheer practical level, when we do uh, prophecy publicly, I'm standing right there, <laughs> and so that's probably going to be the case if there's a, a senior pastor who's allowing for this in a, in a public church setting. He's probably going to be on the stage overseeing the time. Go watch Bridgeway Church. We practice prophecy. We just watch, watch us on YouTube at the end of our service. We do, uh, we do some prophetic time. You can see how we do it. I'm there kind of moderating. And it, I can guarantee you, some prophetic person came up on the stage. And by the way, we only have like appointed prophetic team members who can come up on the stage and prophesy. And, uh, but I could tell you what, if someone came up on the stage and said, Michael Roundtree is terrible and the elders of this church are terrible and blah, 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 blah. And they're, I mean, let's, let's get real. That's definitely not true. Uh, <laughs> so, um, about your but seriously, it, <laughs> thanks, <Josh. laughs> That's, you know, I, I should have known you were going to jump in on that one. So, um, listen, if, if they were saying something out of line, my point is that it, it would be corrected. And, um, but I'll also tell you this, because it's our, our gifted and people people that we trust, we just don't have that kind of thing happening. It becomes a non-problem when you build your church around a value system that's biblically based. So, uh, yeah. Josh. And we're, we're a brand new church, and we, we've been doing the same thing where we're, we're gathering around trainings. We're talking about here are the rules of engagement. You're, you're laying those things out clearly and expecting people to follow suit with that. I, I want to respond to uh, this man's name who I, I think would require... An interpretation of tongues to Dirk JV, maybe. Sid, anyway, Sidger yep. Dirk JV. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So from earlier, I said that uh, evangelism is a spiritual gift, and he said, you know, that's not in First Corinthians twelve. I think he meant to say Jesus gave us some evangelist. So um, what we would encourage, like we have other episodes where we would encourage you maybe to go back and watch some of those. Um, but uh, there's a doctrine within the Trinity called uh, the doctrine of inseparable operations. So anything that the Father does, the Son does, and the Spirit does. So we don't find uh, it to be a helpful distinction to say that there are gifts of the Father in Romans 12, there's gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, and gifts of Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4. In fact, all of the gifts that are mentioned are mentioned as a byproduct of Christ's ascension, session, and administration of the gifts of the Spirit. So even when Ephesians 4 says he ascended on high to give gifts to men, some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, how does he do that? It's through his session. He's seated on the throne, and he administers the gifts of the Spirit through the church. So when Peter and John are at the gate beautiful and they say silver and gold, we don't have this one thing we say, rise and walk in the name of Jesus. Later on in chapter four of Acts, they said, hey, why do you look to us as if it's our holiness or our piety that, that made this man well? Uh, it was Jesus who made this man well. Wouldn't it have been more accurate for them to theologically say it was it was the Holy Spirit that made this man well? But but no, it, what it is is it's the, the gifts that Christ has purchased that are being, his ministry is being ministered through the work of the Spirit in his bride. So the gifts of the Spirit, the gifts of the Father, the gifts of the Son are the gifts of the Spirit. There's no distinction uh, or separation of operations within the divine Godhead. So yeah. when we're talking about our categories in that way, that's, that's how we're talking about them. Um, so in... Uh, uh, the gift of evangelism. God has supernaturally gifted people uh, by the work of the Spirit in evangelism to carry out the ministry of Jesus. So uh, we just, we yeah, wouldn't hold those distinctions. Hope that yeah, makes sense. And, and some people will say that like even in Ephesians 4.11, when it mentions uh, evangelists, that the gifts are actually the people themselves. Like God gave apostles, the people who are apostles and the people who are, uh, so apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and that, hey, well, it's the, it's not the spiritual gift inside of somebody, but it's actually the person who is the gift. But 
uh, if you can look at, say, teaching and affirm, that's definitely a spiritual gift because uh, it's called a spiritual gift elsewhere. I think Romans 12 calls it a, a spiritual gift. Uh, and just as there's a spiritual gift of teaching and there are teachers and there's a spiritual gift of prophecy, uh, Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 mentioned prophecy as a spiritual gift. But then there are prophets in the same way. It's reasonable to assume that because there are evangelists, uh, there's also the spiritual gift of evangelism. Uh, so uh, let's uh, let's keep going. So, uh, Josh, here's one. If I open the floor for tongues and prophecy, someone is going to make a mistake. And I don't want to embarrass them and clean up their mess publicly. Uh, okay. And I think of all the objections, this one, Josh, I think is probably the best one. And it's still not yeah, good. Yeah, it's the most reasonable. Yeah, it's the most reasonable. Um, and uh, and I and I will say this that if if you want to open the door to the Holy Spirit, there can be messes. There can be messes. Uh, you know, John Jonathan Edwards and the Great Awakening had to had to deal with some mess. The same is true in every revival that there's ever been. And of course, we're not even just talking about revival time, specifically in the gift of prophecy. Uh, I, I I would say this first of all. If it's Sunday morning that we're talking about, if you fall back on Sunday morning is for the mature expression of the gifts, then then probably you're not going to have huge messes. Because if you have your mature, trusted, prophetic team, they're not going to be up there. They're not going to get up there and be wackadoodles. Uh, and if they are, it was more your decision to put to allow them to come on the stage than it was once they got up there and they did something wackadoodle. You maybe just shouldn't have had them in the first place. <laughs> um, so I, I would say, man, if you just if, if you just pick the right people to be able to practice those gifts, you, you usually um, you usually aren't going to have too crazy of a mess. And uh, the most you might get is occasionally maybe someone shares a prophetic word that maybe is a little a, a little too dark or negative or, you know, like. Uh, what I've found is that there there are times when I might nut like try to bring a little clarification uh, or uh, you know something like that. But there's always a gracious way to do it, and uh, and our stage team knows that that could happen. And and the, and there is a place like you know like for taking risks, and and I think that's a good thing. John Wember used to say, "Faith is spelled R I S K." And Romans 12 says to prophesy according to your faith. And so I, I actually encourage our teams to step out, take a little risk. And if somebody misses it, I mean, I will miss it occasionally on a Sunday morning. And, uh, and I'm not embarrassed by it. In fact, I'm, uh, I hope that it encourages, and I think it does encourage our prophetic teams. Let's let us take some risk. And to even understand that way of thinking, you just have to understand our view of prophecy uh, and our view of prophecy is not that I'm getting up there and that like my word is equal in authority to the scripture. No, the written revelation always trumps spontaneous revelation. And I can misinterpret God's revelation when I share it. And that doesn't make God a liar. It just means that I, I missed a prophecy. Nor does it make me a false prophet or anyone who misses a prophecy any more than the people who in Acts 21.4 uh, communicate to Paul, quote, through the spirit that he's not supposed to go to Jerusalem, but he actually is supposed to go to Jerusalem. They missed it. They misunder. They were prophesying, so they were uh, they were accurate that there was danger coming, but they missed it that Paul wasn't supposed to go. So those kind of misinterpretation and misapplications can occur, and they become a learning opportunity and, uh, and an opportunity to grow. And I just uh, as a moderator, try to shepherd that whenever that whenever it happens. But honestly, it doesn't happen that much. Usually, we, usually we don't have just big misses, uh, but there are occasional misses, and it's it's actually really cool because you know what? What if church wasn't about we all come together and just all be perfect together, and if we're just perfect, and everybody will believe in Jesus? And uh, what if church was just ordinary people getting together and trying to meet with God and uh, and practice in their gifts and nobody does it perfectly and it's okay because the Holy Spirit shows up. I just think that kind of authenticity actually uh, actually works wonders. I think it's a beautiful thing. So I don't see it as ultimately a problem. Josh, yeah, what, again, did, what did... Go ahead. What, what were you saying? Uh, I was just going to pass it on to you. What were you going to say? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I would I would agree with that. If you're, if you're constantly 
communicating to your church and and before you practice prophecy, especially as you're getting into intro stages. If you're if you're on a Sunday morning practicing these things, the people that are practicing these things have been the ones that have been, um, you know, taught over and over and over again uh, what uh, a healthy prophetic word looks like, and they've been taught over and over and over again. If they're going to open up on a public stage and say, "Hey, this is the that prophetic word," and if it's out of line, we're going to address it quickly. They they signed up for that kind of thing. So no one that's going to get into a public position is going to resist or be embarrassed. I mean, there's probably going to be some measure of embarrassment, I would imagine, uh, but not anything that would that would cause uh, any division within the local church because they, they're ready for that. They're saying, hey, I'm asking God to speak to me. I understand that I'm going to be fallible in this and I need to learn and I need to grow in this. So I'm going to, I'm going to share this word and hope and pray that it lands uh, and then I will take correction and, and learn from that experience if I don't. So if the worry is I'm going to embarrass a person, uh, hopefully you've on the front end encouraged and instructed them over and over that, hey, uh, there will be a time where correction will come or or maybe we'll help you articulate that in a way that, that is more palatable, you know, that's cushioned in a, in a helpful way. Um, if, if you're if you're doing that on the front end, it won't cause any kind of division or offense, at least hopefully uh, within their heart on the back end. So uh, I would just say make yeah. sure that you're doing your homework on the front end. Uh, yeah. Michael, are we, are we kind of at the point where we want to wrap or do, or do we have another question that you want to, you want to address? There uh, is a bunch of comments banging in here, so I don't know there, if, there uh, are. how much uh, we engage I'll, with. Well, I'll, I'll do this last question and then Josh, if there's something in the chat you want to pull up that we can sure. respond to a question, feel free to you guys, if, if you got a question, put all caps question and that'll, that'll help Josh see it while he, uh, doesn't listen to me and instead reads the chat. <laughs> <laughs> but here's numbers, uh, our, our last one. Uh, I believe in this stuff theologically, but I have no practical experience doing this publicly. How am I supposed to lead the church into this if I don't even know how to do this myself? Man, Josh, that's such a huge question. And I, I would say this, I think you you would be right to, to want to walk slowly in this, slowly in the sense that I wouldn't want you to just throw up a bunch of prophets or tongue speakers on the stage and hope for the best. Uh, again, Sunday mornings for the mature expression of the gifts this is something that you would want to build toward. Uh, and gosh, there's so many, there are some in-between steps like you, uh, I mean, it just depends on where your church is at. I mean, are is your church even on board for the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Are you going to need to make a transition as a church to believing in the gifts? Well, then that that's one category of churches. You might be in another category of churches that already believes in the gifts, just doesn't practice the gifts. You might be in another category that like you believe and you try to practice, but you got no one to show you. So you're just not very good at it. I mean, so it really just, I would, I would say I'd want to evaluate your starting point, um, find some outside help because you're probably not just going to figure this out from the inside have somebody who's experienced in these things maybe come out. Uh, I mean, for one, I'd, I'd teach it from the pulpit. Again, it's the tip of the spear. If you want it to happen in church, you got to teach it. Um, but then I'd maybe have a conference speaker come out. Uh, just kind of, I don't know what kind of relationships you have, but try to leverage those and see who, who do you know that could help you along. And, uh, and so uh, just voraciously read on these things, read Storms, read Grudem, read Deer, um, those three will get you a real long way. What? Yeah, Keener. Um, th those are a few things, but man, we we're developing an e course right now for pastors and elders, uh, and how to get these things going in your church. And there's so much to say on that question. It's way more than I can do in a couple of minutes. Um, Josh, did you have any questions pop up that you felt like we should address, or should we just tie this sucker up? No, I think we're good, man. Uh, I think uh, so one of the reoccurring things that keeps coming up in the comments is like, yeah, man, when y'all talk about the gifts of the Spirit, y'all talk about prophecy and tongues and healing, which I don't really talk about, you know, teaching or pastoring or leadership or servanthood or, you know, generous giving or whatever, you know, like, so um, those, a lot of those other things, so you guys know, you either have cessationists saying, uh, giving lots of good teaching on those other gifts what they're saying don't exist are the ones that we're talking about, healing, prophecy, and tongues. Uh, and then also those three gifts are the ones that the hyper-charismatic group are practicing with wheels off, you know, no no boundaries, no, no often even in an or unorthodox way. So when we touch on those three things, it's not because we think those are the most important gifts. Uh, absolutely not. We're, we're both pastors. We both 
primarily, I would say, use the gift of teaching more often than not. Um, so we don't we don't view uh, those three gifts that we keep bringing up as particularly more supernatural or particularly uh, more sign oriented than all the other gifts. And those other gifts aren't important. And these are the only three that matter. We're talking on an issue that is either um, or those three issues because some are saying those don't exist anymore or these are the way that you do them with indecence and, and in order. Uh, and we're saying, nope, this is why we're talking about these three things. It's because we want to squash the idea that they don't exist. We want to squash the idea that if you want to do these things, it has to have chaos attached to it. And we're trying to fight for a third way. Um, anyway, all, all that to say that if you're watching and you're like, why do they just minor or major on these things? This is why we major on these things. Not because they're the most important, but because there's so much um, confusion surrounding these issues. So I hope that can be helpful and clarifying to those who are watching. Uh, anyway, guys, uh, we're crowdfunded. You want to support the channel? There are links in the description to do so. One-time gift on PayPal or reoccurring gift on Patreon. As low as five bucks a month, you get access to extra content. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week, and we will see you next week, uh, Monday and Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. I want to thank Kairos Classrooms for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. And if you're out there, you've ever wondered, hey, I wonder if learning a biblical language would be a supplemental tool for me to help me in my biblical studies. Well, you need to check out Kairos Classrooms. They offer Greek and Hebrew classes that can help teach you and train you. It's a live classroom environment with actual students and actual live teachers, and they help teach you the biblical languages of Greek in Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. There's a link in the description, and you can use the promo code REMNANT to get 10% off. These classes are already crazy affordable, but with the promo code REMNANT, R-E-M-N-A-N-T, you'll get 10% off of Kairos Classrooms. So check that out today. And thank you so much for Kairos for sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio.